All right, so a uh, couple things before we get started. Uh, we got a big event coming up, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. It is our Fall Fest, and so that is our community offering for our community, including you guys here. It's a big festival. It starts in our parking lot, goes all the way over into the park over there, and so we are super excited about it. Uh, last year, we, had, we stopped counting after a few thousand people, but there were a whole lot of people here. We'll have food trucks. We'll have... Uh, vendors that are selling stuff. We'll have inflates and stuff over there for the kids. All kinds of stuff, the weather permitting, of course, because it's an outdoor festival. It's from 5 to 8, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. I'm getting some weird, like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. So anyway, I'll just keep talking through it. You can feel like that's my natural voice. And so uh, so we are offering that not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Um, the backup date will be October 14th, but we'd love to have you, your family, your friends, everybody um, that can come to it. It's a great time. And so we're super excited about it. We do need some volunteers for that because uh, it is a huge undertaking to take, put that up during the day and then obviously take it down at night and clean up and give the city, it's, uh, give Shepherdsville city back nice and neat. And so if you're interested in that, you can stop by the Welcome Center and see Casey or on the app, you can download um, the app and then volunteer through that or on Facebook, I think, as well. So uh, speaking of the app, it is the best way to stay connected. It is the best way to kind of know what's going on. It's the best way to give. We don't pass plates around here. Um, and so it's the best way to give and to be able to do that. It's also the best way to sign up for things, stay involved. The podcast is on there. If you haven't listened to our podcast, Divinely Uninspired, you are missing out. Uh, we are having so much fun with that thing. And we have covered a broad range of topics. This week alone, we talked about woolly mammoths. Uh, we talked about the age of the earth. We talked about a shark that was born in Italy, all kinds of stuff. And you're like, that's not fascinating. It is, I promise. And so make sure you're checking it out um, and doing that as well. And so if you're new, we're so glad you guys are here. If you're watching online, we are so glad you're watching online. If I seem a little frazzled, it's because I had two soccer games, ran a 5K, and my son had an 8 o'clock football game last night because they think they're in the pros. And so uh, it was awesome because it was under the lights, but it was so late. And so I am tired today. And so uh, as we start this new series, we're super excited about it. Uh, we're going to be covering some cool stuff, I think, over the next couple weeks. And this is just the start of it. And so to start, what I want to do is talk a little bit about religion, which is, you know, depending on how you grew up, a good thing or a bad thing. So if you grew up in a religious um, home or religious environment like I did, um, it seemed good, but there's also some dangers with that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try to do that, but there are some dangers when it comes to religion. One of the main dangers is this, is it's very easy to love your religion or your beliefs more than the people that those ideas were given for. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's really easy to fall in love with those ideas more than actually the people. And what can happen if you're not careful with religious ideas sometimes is you end up hurting the people that those ideas were actually given to try to help. And so it could become this thing. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of people, depending on how you grew up, that don't want anything to do with religion. Some of you may even be in this room. You're just here because somebody drug you here. Or you may be here because in reality, um, you've been coming to church your whole life because you grew up where you grew up in this region of this part of this country. And so that's just what you do is you go to church, right? Um, for some of you, I mean, the thing about religion is this, is that people have been hurt by it. Um, and not just other religions. I mean, when we're talking about Christianity, people have been hurt by it, and especially within the church. Some of our stories, and I've heard them, are about your experiences growing up in church and people hurt you or people that were a part of your church said things or did things. And, 
And, and it's just kind of this odd thing. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time kind of looking at this idea that Jesus came to give us and why I believe it's actually greater than religion itself. And we're going to look into the life of Jesus, some of the moments of the life of Jesus, as well as his early followers um, who believed that he came to start something, a movement that was supposed to move, um, that he came to establish a brand new covenant, a brand new arrangement between God and all of mankind. Now, Anytime you start something new is what we believe Jesus did. He didn't come to start another religion. He came to clarify some things. And anytime you see that, whenever you start something, you have to know you're always rubbing against something else. So, so for example, whenever you start a new thing, that means typically that you're rubbing up at least against some type of old system or old way of thinking, the old guard. And specifically, Jesus, when he starts talking, he is really starting to tick off the religious law keepers. Now, we would call them, and you've probably heard this term if you've read the Bible or been in church, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, they often get a bad rap, but at the end of the day, all these guys are trying to do is they're trying to protect their faith and their religion. So when Jesus comes along and challenges or kind of changes or kind of um, takes the ideas that they were given and kind of explains them further, you have to understand that this was going to rub these guys the wrong way, right? For example, if someone came up to you and told you that almost everything you believe is actually wrong, how would you feel, right? You wouldn't like it. You might have some problems. So these guys, um, they start following Jesus. They're always having conversations with Jesus. And in this one particular story, Jesus is going to say something at the end. This is going to be the catalyst kind of for this whole series. But this is weird exchange, and you've probably never even read this. Even if you grew up in church, we don't teach lessons about this one. But in this story, it takes place in Matthew. Jesus and his guys, um, they're, they're walking around. And, and so in Jesus' day and age in ministry, um, you walked everywhere. Okay, They didn't have cars. They didn't have Uber. You had to walk everywhere. And you had to walk in between towns. Where they live, it's dry, it's hot. Um, you, you might get lucky every once in a while and get a donkey or something like that, but and more than likely you're walking in between all these villages. So you're walking from town to town to town. Now, it, when you walk everywhere, um, if you know something about walking, um, you get hungry, right? Because you're exercising in, in some ways. Um, I remember we used to live just down the road in Mallard Point, if anybody lives over there in that neighborhood. And I remember, like, there were times where I, like, I'm, I'm kind of a, an outdoorsy kind of guy. So I would, like, either ride my bike in town or I would walk in town. And you people thought I was crazy because I was walking places, right? And it would be like, there's a sidewalk, you know. But um, people, you just don't do that. But in their culture, that was the only option was to walk places. So you get hungry. So they're out, they're walking, and they're walking by this field. And so it's Sabbath, which would be their Saturday. It's their day of rest. Now, we don't take a day of rest. Some of you desperately need a day of rest because you are stressed all the time, right? Okay, but they, they were very important in their faith that there was a day of rest. And they took it very seriously, so seriously, that some of the writings we have from the first century would say things like when they would wake up on the day of Sabbath, they would take a rope and they would tie it to their front door and then they would tie it around their leg. And it was depending on which scholars you read, it was between 50 feet and 50 yards. They were not allowed to walk any further than that rope would allow them because anything further than that would be work, right? And so they took this very seriously. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to do that. That's just how serious they took this idea. So Jesus and his guys, they're walking through this field. They're hungry. The Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of following along to see what they're going to do. They're always trying to trap Jesus. 
and they're hungry, so they're walking through the field, and they take their hand, and they take some of the, the wheat grain, and they pop the heads off of it, and then they eat it. And the religious people lose their mind, all right? They go crazy. They're like, look, look, you're breaking the law. Like, you're, you're breaking the Sabbath. Like, you're, you're doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. This is work. Okay, so this is the scenario. This is how crazy religious people get sometimes. Jesus and them are walking through a field. They're grabbing some grain. They're eating the grain. And the Pharisees are like, you're farming. You're farming. You're working, right? And so they get really crazy about this. And so Jesus, he's like, okay, all right. Well, here's what you have to know, okay? Um, we're not actually doing anything wrong. This is not against the law, and I should know because I created it, but he doesn't say that card just yet, okay? But, but he says, okay, no, we're not working. Um, and if we were, it is the Sabbath, we're supposed to be resting, um, but essentially, this is what your priests do, right? And in some ways, this is what you're doing. You're like following us, Right? That's work, right? So, so it's no different than any of that. And on top of that, there's nowhere that says that you can't. You've just made up all of these man-made kind of things around the religion that have actually nothing to do with the faith system itself. And then he says this, and it's this brilliant line. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Which you hear that and you're like, okay, let's get to the interesting stuff. I don't know why you're telling this story and it's taking so long. But, but here's the point. He is changing a way of thinking. And he's saying, listen, listen. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay? Which is essentially this idea is God is not more concerned about the Sabbath than he is the people. The Sabbath was a gift given to the people so that they could have a day of rest. See, their understanding was they think God loves his law more than he loves the people. You ever met anybody like that? They think God loves the law more than he loves people? This is what religious people do. They fall in love with religion to the neglect of the people for whom those ideas and thoughts was given. They prioritize law over people. This is the essence of legalism. Now, some of you guys are not familiar with this term, but legalism is this really popular term in the church. And essentially, it's this idea is that there are people that are so legalistic in their ideas that they will take any extreme necessary. Legalism always prioritizes a view over you. They don't care about people. They just care about being right. They care about the law being kept. But what's fascinating is this, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be rules and order and there shouldn't be ideas that we take, none of that. But what's fascinating is every time Jesus comes in or acts with these people who use God's law to dishonor people made in the image of God, he's quick to remind them they're on the wrong side. So this conversation goes back and forth and back and forth and eventually gets to this point and he says, you are so concerned about the law, you are so concerned about the Sabbath, you're so concerned about the temple. And then here's the line. And when you hear it, you're going to be like, that's so unimpressive, until we explain it. In Matthew 12, 6, Jesus makes a statement that many believe is one of the statements that got him killed. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. To compare yourself to the temple, to declare yourself greater than the temple is either arrogance, insanity, it's certain blasphemy. 
I mean, the temple, nothing is greater than the temple. The temple was the epicenter of their religion. It was where God's spirit dwelled. It was where you came to offer what you had to God to keep him appeased. It was how you were able to offer sacrifices to keep God on your side. Listen, you know what else the temple was? The temple was the place that people were able to control people. The temple was the place people were able to manipulate people. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, the the whole temple system, the whole idea, listen, something greater has come. There's this new trend, and you may or may not be familiar with it, but it's called the nuns, okay? Not nuns, like, you know, here I'm with a ruler, nuns, and wear the thing, okay? Not those type of nuns. They're great people too. But there's a new type of people called the nuns. The nuns is the N-O-N-E-S, It is the fastest growing faith system, not only in our country, but in the world. And I say faith system, and you're going to be surprised by this, but all the nuns really are is they don't affiliate with any type of religious spiritual systems. Now, the reason this is important for you to know is because Generation Z, which would be our youngest generation currently, and millennials make up the majority of the nuns. Essentially what it is, is they're not necessarily atheist or agnostic. They just don't align with anything. They don't believe in any of it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't care whether you as their parents or you as the leaders of the church. They don't care that you believe this stuff. They're just not going to believe this stuff. They're the non-religious. It is the fastest growing movement within our country. Now, what's fascinating about this is this... um, and you should know this because a lot of it is your kids, and they may be in the back in church or growing up in kids' ministry, but there's this movement that's exploding. And part of it is this. It's this misunderstanding of what religion is, but maybe more importantly when it comes to Christianity, it's a misunderstanding of what Jesus was actually trying to do. I had a friend recently that we talked about with partnering about the Fall Fest, which is a not, it's like non-religious at all. You can wear whatever. You can wear scary stuff. We don't care. Just come and have fun. But they were talking and they were saying, well, we, we can't do it because when I brought it up in class to my kids that could, you know, this would be a great opportunity for them to raise some money, get volunteer hours, do all this stuff. They said they just don't want to do because they don't have anything to do with religion. And I was like, well, it's not really religious, but I see their point. I have friends all the time that'll tell me things like, you know, you know, they know what I do or like, you know, the, the most awkward thing for somebody like me is to get on an airplane, okay? Because on an airplane, nobody really wants to talk to each other, but there's always that, that one question everybody's got, well, what do you do for a living? You know, I'm a pastor. They're like, can we change seats? Um, you know, uh, but a lot of times what people will say is they'll say things like, well, I'm just not very religious. And I'm always like, neither am I. And they're always shocked by that, and maybe some of you are too, but I'm not. I'm not very religious. If you spend any time with me, you'd be like, you're shocked I even get to do what I do here. So, um, but the reason I agree with that is because religion really is terrible, right? I mean, it really is. It's awful. And, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't be religious and it doesn't have some value, but in the term of the whole idea, when we study the span of religion, what it is, I mean, there's been a lot of bad things, you know, just last week, we, we celebrated and remembered an event that happened 20 years ago, an event that at the end of the day had definitely political ideas to it, but more importantly than that, had religious ideas tied to it. And it's easy for us to look at other religions and say, well, yeah, that happened because of those people or what they think or what they believe. But it's not just one religion. 
It's a lot of them. I mean, if you don't like the idea of religious people killing other people, you should not read your Bible. I'm going to tell you that. And you should not study Christianity's history because it's very violent. Right? There's this part of history known as the Crusades. Right? You ever studied it? It's bad. And do you know who was behind the Crusades? The church. Now, you might say, oh, it's the Catholic church. Well, do you know the word Catholic? All it means is universal. We were all once Catholic. It was all, always one church, and then it split the Catholicism, Protestantism, which is the whole thing you guys don't care about. But here's the thing. This was done under the guise of religion. You ever heard of the Spanish Inquisition? Religion. And so when we go back and we study it, and we should, there's all of this stuff that happens where men, sometimes women, but mainly men, abuse every form of power and structure. And so many times it happens under the name of religion. And it's caused a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of confusion. And that's like just the big stuff. I mean, think about the scandals. In the last five years alone, there have been men, mainly men again, there seems to be a pattern there, but also some women um, in our country, leaders of huge movements. They've been found out not to be the people they said they were. I mean, there has been abuse in every form, not just in the Catholic Church, but in our churches. And so you hear all of that, and you see all of that, and you come up with a generation that's the most inquisitive generation that's ever existed, and they know all of this, and guess what? They can Google it so they know it's real, and no wonder they don't want to be a part of this. Everybody listening to this message has a story or knows someone that's had a bad experience with faith or religion or the church, people who mistreated them, people that did things to them. And oftentimes what's interesting to me is when you dig down beneath the surface of these scandals, all it comes down to is mainly men, again, but there are some women who are supposed to represent something, but rather than represent the thing that was bigger than them and more important to them, they made it about their glory and their kingdom, and their income, and their pleasure. And then we have all these religious writings that people use to control people, to abuse people, to have their way with people, to manipulate people. And then we're shocked when it all comes to light, which it always does, and the bottom drops out, and all people are done is left hurting, cold, and confused. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? Which is why what Jesus says is so important. Something greater than the temple has come. Something greater than everything you thought that God was and was trying to do in the world through religion has come. There's this great story about this guy who, who walked away from one religious idea and walked into something greater. And you probably, as we, we know this story, you're going to recognize this name because we talk about him all the time. Um, but essentially what he does is he deconverts from one religious idea and converts to another one. Because here, that's the thing you got to understand is every time you turn from one thing, you're turning to something else. And so like the nuns, they'll say like, oh, we don't have any type of faith system. We don't have anything to do with anything. Well, that's a type of faith system. That's a type of belief system. You're turning from one thing to another. You're either, even if you're an atheist or agnostic, which some of you may be, you're turning from one thing to another thing. That's all we're doing. 
And so in his deconversion, he, he understands something clearly that he's never understood before, and it changes the way he sees everything. It's the story of a guy named Saul. Now, it takes place in the book of Acts, and it's this kind of fascinating story because essentially Saul is this religious, like, zealot. He, he is about as extreme as you can possibly get. And by the time we pick up the story of Saul, he's actually a different guy. His name is Paul, which is confusing, but he's a follower of Jesus. But you got to understand is that, that um, he's a bad guy, right? Like he, he hasn't been good. He's done a lot of things. He's hurt people. He's imprisoned people. He's been a part of people being killed, right? And so nobody really knows what to do with him because, you know, have you ever met somebody and they become a Christian and they're like a really, really bad person? And you're just like, eh, I don't know about this one, right? Anybody? It's okay. We can be honest in here, right? Now, I, that's not real. You shouldn't be like that. But that's kind of how they are with Paul. Because here's the thing. He was killing their friends. And then now he's one of them. And they're like, are you just doing this to kill us all? Like, you know, they, they don't know what to do with them. So the Christians aren't accepting of him. Because he's turned away from Judaism, the Jews aren't accepting of him. He's kind of like by himself on an island. It's very confusing. But he's a follower of Jesus. Now, Christianity wasn't really much of a thing at that point in time, and there definitely wasn't the term Christians. What they were called is the way. The way of Jesus is essentially what it was short for. And so Paul says he's a part of the way. He's a follower of Jesus. But before that, as I said, he was an extremist in his religion. And so people were scared of him. People were thing, And so everybody's confused. And the Jews, they get so angry at him that they actually have this plot to kill him. Because again, that's what we do in religion sometimes. We don't like what people say. We just kill them. We just wipe them out. So eventually this gets really messy and involves the temple. And once it involves the temple, the Pharisees and the Sadducees get involved. And because they're involved, the Romans get involved because the Romans ruled the world and nothing happened without their permission in that world. And so they arrest Paul. The problem is, is that Paul not only is Jewish, but he's also Roman. And so when they arrest him, they have to give him an opportunity to have a trial because Romans had certain rights that not everybody else in the world did. And so it becomes this really messy thing. And eventually gets to the point that, that he requests, you know, and they give him an audience with King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa is a kind of like a puppet king in some ways because he's a Jewish king, but he's over this region put in place by the Roman Empire, by the Caesars. And you can study all this in your history books, not just in your Bible, but King Agrippa. And he's actually the grandfather of, of Herod, as in Herod who tried to kill all the babies when Jesus was born, Herod. So he doesn't come from a great line of people. So anyway, he, he's sitting there, and, and eventually he gets this audience with King Agrippa, and so he tells him his story. And this is the fascinating part. Because Paul has seen all sides of things. He's actually a Pharisee. He's well-educated. His credentials are insane. And so here's what he says when he gets down with Agrippa. He says this, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it for time. <laughs> but in Acts 26, okay, starting this, he says, this is Paul talking. He says, I too was, no, not that verse. Sorry, whoever's doing slides. That's like 10 minutes away. Sorry. All right. Um, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. So he is deeply convinced. His religious conviction is that he is supposed to wipe out everything that has to do with Jesus. And he goes on to say, he goes, and so my goal is to just wipe it out. And he says, I want to put them in prison. And when I can't put them in prison, I cast that they be put to death. 
He's putting people to death. You might need to take that. It sounded pretty urgent. <laughs> he thinks by putting people to death, he's serving God. Now, does that sound familiar? The idea that what God wants for you is to hurt and punish people so that he'll be pleased. That's what religion often teaches. So that's what he thinks. He thinks he's doing a good thing. This is how radical he is. And so he goes, he says, I went from synagogue to synagogue and, and, and I punished people. And, and I basically, I forced them to blaspheme, which is basically I forced them to recant their admission of who Jesus was. And if they wouldn't do it, then, then we would kill these people. I mean, this is the ugliness of religion. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I hunted them even in foreign cities, which means he starts off in Jerusalem, but he's not happy with that. He wants to wipe out everybody. So he actually goes on the hunt for these people. It wasn't enough for him to eradicate it just in Jerusalem. He wanted everything. And then it gets weird. So in verse 12, he's like, I'm on this journey. I'm on my way to Damascus. And he goes, I'm on my way under the commission of the chief priest to do whatever I need to do to start to wipe out this movement of Jesus. And he says, and then there was this light that shone brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions, which is his way of telling Agrippa, listen, I know this story sounds a little bit funky, and this is something that some of you guys have a problem with the Bible about. There's all these weird stories, and he gets blinded by this light, and he hears the voice of Jesus. And here's what he's saying. He's saying to Agrippa, and he's saying to you, listen, you don't believe me? My companions who still live around here, you can go get them and ask them. Like something happened. Paul, a man grounded in logic and reason. He has an experience he cannot explain. And here's why I believe this happened. Paul will eventually be put in prison three times, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, and eventually killed. If he was making this up, don't you think at some point he might be like, yeah, just kidding, guys. No more of this throwing me off the cliff stuff. It's not fun anymore, okay? But he believed what he saw. And he said, when I fell at this ground, at this light, he said, I heard this voice. And the voice is, why do you persecute me? And his response is, who are you? And the reason his response to why do you persecute me, and then he says, who are you, is this. He thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was doing what he was supposed to do. He thought hurting people and imprisoning people and even being a part of killing people, that this is what God wanted him to do. He thought he was the best servant, the most religious person that he knew. And the exchange goes on, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, which has to be a sobering moment, right? He says, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to appoint you, which means I've got something for you to do as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen in me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you. And so what is he going to send Paul to do? I mean, think about this. I mean, this is a one-man wrecking crew. This is a force of a man to deal with. What, what is God going to send Paul, the most religious, zealot, extremist he can think of? What is he going to send? If you want a message communicated, all right, if you want a religious idea communicated to the world, Paul's the guy. So here, what are you going to ask him to do? You ready? Now verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan, which is deception unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sin. So I don't get to kill anybody anymore? I don't get to punish anybody? You sure you don't want me to do that? 
No. What I want you to do is to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan deception unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. There's nowhere in there about hurting people, killing people, judging people, making people feel bad about themselves, manipulating people. So, so Paul, I've got this mission that I got to send you on, and you're going to change the world. And what you're going to write and what you're going to do is change the world. And so what's going to be the center of that message? You ready? The center of the message is this, is that people can forget, receive forgiveness of sin. Do you know why this is so brilliant? See, every other religious experience is what can I give God so that he's pleased with me? How much do I have to offer so that he'll be okay with me? And Jesus says, I want to give him something. So you don't want to take anything? No, I want to give him something. This is the greater thing. This is the thing that's greater that Jesus is talking about. There's this famous moment in the life of C.S. Lewis where he's at this religious um, expose, and he's talking to all these religious leaders around the world, and they're trying to figure out what's different about Christianity than all the other religions. And so they talk about incarnation, and that's actually not unique to Christianity. They're talking about resurrection, again, not unique to Christianity when it comes to the world of religion. And eventually, C.S. Lewis, he, he says, okay, well, you really want to know. He says, it's actually very simple. In fact, he says, what's this rumpus about? Which is just a great word. He says, what's this rumpus about? And he looks to this panel of guys, and he says, it's easy. It's grace. The idea that God came to give to us versus us having to give to him. The idea of forgiveness. Paul, I want you to spend the rest of your life helping people understand something about me. I'm not out to get them. The ones that misunderstand, the ones that only have a piece of the truth, the ones that have abandoned the truth, the ones that have nothing to do with it. And don't want anything to do with it because they've misunderstood. They've been given a bad version. I want you to understand one thing, that they can have forgiveness of sin. And here's why this is so brilliant. Every person you've ever met, every person I've ever met, every person sitting in this room, you've sinned. Now, we don't like that. And you're like, well, of course he's going to talk about sin. He's got to make me feel guilty so that I'll accept all this stuff. No. Every person sinned, and here's how I know that you've sinned. Every single person has fell short of the expectations they've set for themselves. And every person in this room, wherever it's lived, has fell short of the expectations of others, right? Okay, have you ever hurt anybody, abused anybody, done anything wrong, said anything wrong? Listen, every single person that ever has lived has had to go to someone and ask for forgiveness, The common denominator of all of us is we've all fallen short of our own standard of behavior. We've definitely fallen short of the standard of behavior of others, which means that if there is a God, bingo, we've probably fallen short of the standard of behavior that he wants for us. Red, yellow, black, and white, every religion in sight, right? That's what we all have in common, a sin problem. So Jesus comes along, and at the epicenter of what he wants to say is this, that you've all fallen short of God's standard, but you can be forgiven. And just as forgiveness is the restorer of your relationship between husband and wife, 
between parent and child, boss and employee, neighbor and neighborhood association, right? All of those things. Learning to forgive, to admit when you're wrong, learning to own up to it. And then knowing that someone will forgive you for the wrongs that you've done. The message that God says that he wants Paul to take to the world is that God is announcing the world that he is ready and able and willing to forgive the sin. Because that is the common ground for all of the human race. We've all fallen short. And that God doesn't want anything more from us, but that he wants to give to us. That they will turn from darkness to light and they will receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, when the first people heard this, they were like, well, this is, see, we grew up in church. So like you just knew it was a matter of time before I get to something like this. But for the first people that heard this, you got to understand, they've had generation after generation, movement after movement, God after God that has stepped into their life, and all the gods ever do is demand. That's the basis of religion. What can I give so that God's happy with me? If I don't have anything else to offer, then I'll offer myself. And if that's not what he wants, I'll take out anybody he asks me to take out. And this is the God who gives. A system greater than the temple. Well, the first people heard this, and they said, well, that's great news. Actually, it's, 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 it's really, really good news. It's the best news we've ever heard, so we have to have a word for it, right? And, and so the word they come up with for the good news of Jesus is, well, that sounds like it might be the gospel, which is all that word is. It's the translation of the good news. Now, maybe you grew up in a religious system, and you were beat to death with it. But did you know the foundation of what Jesus came to do is to remind us that God has not given up on us and that God wants to forgive us because he wants to be in relationship with us? Now, that understanding has all kinds of implications for us about why what Jesus came to do is greater than religion. But I'm out of time, and this is week one, so you'll just have to come back next week if you want to hear about that. Let's pray.